Well, I think I already said good morning to everyone, but good morning, church. I am deeply honored to have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you with humble hearts, acknowledging that your, that your words mean everything. Our words mean nothing, and yet you have put your gospel, your truth, into our hearts and into our minds. And you use sinful men such as myself to communicate the very words of life. Someone who was once dead in my trespasses and sins. And by your great grace and by your gift of faith, you breathed life into us. And then you use us as conduits of your gospel to preach life to others. Thank you for the opportunity. God, we give you all the glory. We give attention to your word. Now free our minds from distractions, we pray. To you alone be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, last week, uh, Brother Tim began teaching... Um, Already did it. <laughs> Already recording. So last week, Tim began um, a teaching series on um, our fellowship's statement of faith. Um, what we believe and why we believe it. Um, as always, Tim did an excellent job of presenting sound biblical truth. One important aspect of our statement of faith is that we are an elder-led church which is the clear biblical example of leadership for the New Testament church. I think I can speak confidently for um, the elders when I say that uh, our desire is to preach God's word in such a way that, that Christ is glorified, that his grace is always at the forefront, and that you, through these teachings, would find indescribable rest in God's grace. We're passionate men. Passionate about the gospel. Passionate about living out truth. Not just being hearers or speakers of the word, but doers. God forbid that we would ever stand before you and preach something that we don't live out. And no, we are not in, infallible. We fail. We sin. I struggle daily to do the very things that I, I preach to you on a weekly basis, or monthly, rather. Among the elders, there are key elements, essentials that, that we agree upon, um, those can be summed up pretty easily, um, I think, in, in what's described as the five solas. Tim wrote it on the chalkboard over there. Sola Scriptura. Sola Gratia. Sola Fadi, Fide. Fide. There it is. I don't speak Latin, clearly. <clears throat> Solo Cristo. Sol, soli Deo Gloria. Do you need to know the Latin? No. Uh, 
Well, not unless you want to understand what our church name means. <laughs> Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. God's word alone teaches us that we are saved by grace. Alone. Through faith that is a gift of God alone. In Christ Jesus, our Lord alone. For the glory of God. Of God alone. These are the foundational elements of what of what we believe and what we preach to you week after week. Sharing this common foundation, I'm blessed to say that there is a, a particular unity amongst the elders, such as I don't think any of us have ever experienced before. And we are incredibly blessed by that. What a fruitful time of, of ministry and growth it has been for, for me, for, for my family, and I know for the other families that are, that are represented here. God forbid that any of us would ever be accused of seeking our own glory, burdening the church with unbiblical Standards, practically speaking, amongst the elders, I love the opportunity to share this, this pulpit with other men because multiple viewpoints give us a well-rounded perspective of the gospel. I'll read to you Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 through 6. It says that by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. And I believe that one of the reasons why we are experiencing the victory that we are in the unity um, in this fellowship and amongst the elders is because of the abundance of counselors. No man's trying to be the superstar. No man's trying to be the king of anything. Just people of like-minded faith gathering around the truth of the gospel the foundational elements thereof, and encouraging one another in them. As we think about our, uh, our statement of faith and, and doctrines, immovable doctrines that we adhere to, there's a key foundational truth of our faith is that of God's Trinitarian nature. That is to say that God is three in one. Three persons in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Us, likewise, being made in God's own image, he made us three-part beings. Spirit, mind, and body. 
And he designed our spirit to have fellowship with his. God is Father, Son, Spirit. Created in his own image, he made us three-part beings, spirit, soul or mind, and body. God designed our spirit. He breathed life into us to have fellowship with his spirit. And we know that that fellowship was broken in the fall in the garden when man sinned. God is three-part being, three persons in one. He made us three-part beings, spirit, mind, and body. We often see this pattern of of threes uh, appear in life. Uh, A triad. Is, is a term that's used to describe a group of three um, in music. A three-note chord consisting of the root note being the first scale degree, the third, the third scale degree, and the fifth scale degree. These are each individual notes, but combine them and you have a triads. triad. The notes create harmony with one another. For sake of the illustration, can I demonstrate for you? Root, third, fifth. For those who know nothing about music, you can hear that those notes form a chord. It's pleasing to the ear. They harmonize with one another. These triads are the foundation for all tonal music that's pleasing to to the ear. Now within triads, you have major triads and you have minor triads. Both pleasing to the ear but invoke a different emotion. God made us emotional creatures. um, And... For us to greater understand the, the depth of, of his creation, to, to perceive life not, with, not without emotion. He gave us music. We sing to the Lord. Why would we, why would we just stand and recite? Now, we, we do just recite. We do just read. But he also gave us music to invoke emotion. A triad. Major, minor, good days, bad days, sunshine, and rain. All in perfect, <laughs> all in perfect harmony with, with one another. But listen to what happens when I play one of these notes wrong. a little bit of an uneasy feeling like like you don't want me to do it again. (laughs) Right? Stop it. Stop it. Why are you doing this? Like a horror film. Right? Exactly. It it causes a particular uneasiness to to happen. 
Harmony. Major. Harmony minor. Dissonance. So we see what happens within this triad when one of the parts or one of the notes is, is out of balance. It wrecks the whole chord, right? It makes, us, it makes us feel uneasy. It creates dissonance. Something is wrong. Those listening to it make it, well, it makes you want to say make it stop. And I purposely played it over and over again. God created us as three-part beings. Spirit, mind, and body. When man sinned in the garden, it's as though that equation was, was flipped upside down. That no longer was man spirit first, mind or soul and body. It's as though now man lived for his flesh first. To exalt his own mind. And his spirit was dead. Thus, breaking the uninhibited fellowship that God designed man to have with himself. In a quick recap, in my last sermon, our root section of scripture was 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and I will read it to you. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here Paul gives the illustration of athletes running a race or boxers contending in the ring and states that they discipline themselves and have self-control in all things. And yet they do this for their own glory. They do it for an earthly, perishable crown. But that we ought to discipline ourselves all the more to obtain the crown of life. Paul then states a literal translation of I discipline my body and keep it under control, that he literally beats his flesh into submission and makes it his slave in order to not be disqualified from this race. Last time I spent a good deal of time talking about discipline, and by definition, you remember discipline? Habits of obedience. Discipline is the forming of habits of obedience. We talked about the necessity to exercise and to discipline your flesh, not just for the sake of your body, but for the sake of your mind. You see, God created us as a triad. Three parts that need to work in harmony with each other, spirit, mind, and body. 
these do not operate independently from one another, but are dependent on one another. The health of each other is dependent on the other. Like when I played a dissonant chord, we just wanted it to stop. We wanted order to be brought back to that chord. Whether if it was major or minor, it did not matter. We wanted the dissonance to stop. The condition of the body affects the mind. The condition of the mind affects the body. The condition of the mind affects the spirit. The condition of the spirit affects the body and vice versa, and round it goes. Numerous studies have been done and shown that physical exercise not only increases, but is essential to proper brain function. I'll only be on this for just a minute, but pay attention. Increased heart rate equals increased oxygenated blood flow, not only to the body, but also to the brain. Kind of the opposite of what wearing a mask does. <laughs> this increased blood flow provides the necessary nutrients your brain needs to function properly, to handle stress, to make hard decisions like disciplining yourself to do the hard thing, the things you don't want to do but that are necessary, like standing against tyrants, or the simple denial of self to serve God and others. Physical discipline equips the mind for battle. Today, though, I'd like to focus our attention on the second part of this triad that God has made us. Your mind. Discipline your mind. Last time we talked about, very practically, I talked about, the importance of healthy habits, not only for the sake of your physical well-being, but also for your mind. And I said, eat right, sleep right, exercise, repeat. Eat right, sleep right, exercise, repeat. And the reason why people don't is due to what I call the crazy cycle. People don't eat right. Therefore, they don't sleep right. Therefore, they don't exercise. And round and round and round it goes. But within the spiritual, we find yet another triad, a group of three, which is of necessity to the health of your mind and your spirit. God's word, prayer, and fellowship. Why these three? Why God's word? Because faith comes by hearing it. Romans 10, 17. Ephesians chapter 2 is clear that faith is a gift from God. The means by which he uses to instill faith in us is through his holy word. Because God's word is living, active, and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. God's word is foundational because us giving attention to it gives him glory. Why prayer? Because we're commanded to make our requests known to God. Philippians 4, 6. Because prayer causes us to look up 
Like Paul told the church at Colossae, he said to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Because prayer changes us for God's glory. Why fellowship? Because we're commanded to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together. There's strength in numbers. There's strength when we gather together and lock our shields of faith with one another, like Tim talked about last week. The scripture tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We fellowship because as we join together, we join our voices, we join our hearts and minds and attention to God's word. It gives God glory. Even though we know these things, I'm not preaching something to you that you haven't heard and that you don't know. You know as a believer that you need God's word in your life every day. Reading, meditating, preaching it to yourself. And yet somehow, it oftentimes gets put on the back burner. Other things are of greater importance. We know that we need to be in prayer, crying out to God, confessing our sins to him. We know that we need to be in fellowship, but oftentimes we find ourselves on yet another crazy cycle. We're not in the word, we're not in prayer, and we're not in fellowship. And if I'm not in fellowship with God, the chances are I'm not in fellowship with others. We must break the cycle, form habits of obedience, whether if we feel like it or not, and discipline ourselves to bring ourselves before the throne of God on a daily basis, to read his word, to hear from him, to seek his face, and to seek out fellowship with others who are doing the same. You know, there's a, a common theme among those who struggle, especially new Christians, but it's not just new Christians, it's new and old alike. We see, how many times have we seen the parable of the sower played out in, in front of our eyes? Where the seed of God's word has been sown and cast to the ground. The sower has sowed this seed. And some has fallen on good ground and taken root. Those who hear God's word and do it. But some seed has fell among the stony places where it doesn't have much depth of earth. And it springs up quickly. But when the troubles of this life come, it is uprooted. And each of us at some point in time in our walk... And some of us, maybe more than others, have doubted our salvation and doubted, you know, and thought, am I one of those that will be uprooted? Am I being uprooted? You know, the doubting of one's salvation is not something that is, is new. Like I said, I think it's common. Let me encourage you with this. The question, have I lost it? That is my salvation. Or was I ever really saved? Is indicator that nothing has been lost. That is if you could lose something that God holds and controls. And the very question of salvation or salvation's reality validates its existence. Does that make sense? 
If I'm sitting with a dear brother or sister and they're broken for fear of losing something that God holds and controls, that in and of itself validates their deep concern and conviction that the Holy Spirit indeed is alive and at work within them. Any of you parents here um, know what it's like to hold hands with your kids, especially when they're little. I'll tell you a little bit about Ezra. So Ezra was, when he was, well, from the time he started walking um, to this day, on the go. And I would hold his hand like I held the hands of my other children. They would grab a hold of my first finger, and I would wrap my entire hand around theirs. Now, Ezra would just run the whole time. Just pull, and he's dragging you. I remember one day we were at Stony Brook, um, and the rocks are slippery, and he is just, and there's flowing water and danger everywhere, and he's just running from one place to the next. And at every step he takes, his feet are slipping. Every step he takes, that if I weren't holding on to his hand, he'd be smashing his face against the rocks. The question is, within that, who was holding on to who? Was it Ezra's grip on my first finger that was preventing his face being smashed against those rocks? Or was it my entire hand that was wrapped around his as he thought he was holding on to me, but his daddy was really holding on to him? God is able to keep that which you have entrusted to him. He is holding on to you. His grip on you is far greater than your grip could ever be on him. As you hold on to the finger of your father and hope and pray that you don't smash your face against the rocks, know this. God is holding on to you. When your faith fails, when you waver, when you question whether if you've lost it or whether if you were ever saved at all, he's holding on to you. Many struggle after the newness of their salvation fades. The honeymoon's over, and they say, I don't feel anything anymore. My fire for the Lord has nearly gone out, it's fading. I don't hear his voice like I used to. Oftentimes, I believe this is as a result of our faith being entirely too mystical. What is, what does mystical mean? Or what is mysticism? Mysticism can be described as the experiential knowledge of God. Is our experiential knowledge of God reliable? Certainly not. Because our hearts deceive us. Our minds play tricks on us. They lead us astray. I've said it many times before, and I'll say it again, and I'll continue to hammer on it. Especially young people, hear me when I say this. We as the people of God must not be driven by what we feel. 
We must not be driven to and fro with every experience that we have and somehow think that because I stubbed my toe that God is punishing me for some evil that I did. And because I was able to find a house and, and clothes on it and now my family has a home that somehow I did something right and God is re rewarding me. That's mysticism. Our faith, genuine faith, cannot be based upon experience, but based upon the truth that God has written in his word. Rest in God's grace. Trust his word. Believe it with all your heart. And move forward. We must not be driven by what we feel. We must be led by what we know. This poses the big question. What is it that we know? If I'm not to be driven about by every experience that this life has to offer, if I'm supposed to be led by what I know, what is it that I should know? Every believer should be able to answer this triad of questions. Who is God? Who am I? And what does he want me to do? Who is God? Who am I? And what does he want me to do? I'll give you quick answers. Who is God? God is Father and a good Father, Creator. He's Jesus, our Savior, who bled and died for our sins. He's the Holy Spirit sent as our comforter and our helper. He's a good dad. He's gracious and he's kind and he's patient. I know who God is. And if I know who God is, then his word tells me who I am. I'm his creation. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I'm a child of God. This right he has given to all those who believe. I'm precious to God and the object of his love. I know who God is. I know who I am. The question is, what does he want me to do? God, so gracious and kind and compassionate, wrote it down for us. What does he want me to do? His word. To glorify him and to find my deepest joy in doing so. Brothers and sisters, don't get caught up in the lie of mysticism, mysticism being driven by your experiences, or sit around waiting to feel God so you know that what he's telling you to do. And then worry that you're making the wrong decision or that you went the wrong direction. I see so many of my brothers and sisters suffer in these places for a lifetime. God, what do you want me to do? Just help me feel something. Just speak to me. And oftentimes the context of God's word it's, it's regardless. It doesn't matter at all. God's word said something and I felt it and he spoke to my heart. Now I'm going to do it. Well, sorry, that's 
not the context in which that was written, and that's not what that means. Well, what do you, what do you mean? You're saying God didn't speak to me? I believe that God can speak to you through his word, and I believe that he does. But when we take God's word out of context and we misapply it to situations or experiences in our life, that's not the gospel. That's false religion. That's idolatry. What does he want me to do? His word. Rest in his grace, his complete work of salvation, that he's holding on to you and no one or nothing is able to snatch you or take you from his hand. Read God's word and do it. Christian, what did you do in the beginning to grow? Do those same things to continue to grow today and every day as you work out your salvation, as the scripture says, with fear and trembling. God's word, read it, meditate on it, preach truth to yourself, pray, worship him, give him glory, confess your sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Pour out your hearts before him. Lock shields with those of like-minded faith. I heard it once said that fellowship can be easily described as two fellows in the same ship. Gather with those of like-minded faith and sharpen iron. A sound mind. Peter stresses to us the importance of being sober-minded. 1 Peter 5.8. He says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What does it mean to be sober? Well, within, oftentimes we hear that within our, within our culture, and it means that someone is not intoxicated by drugs or alcohol, that they're sober. What does it mean to be sober-minded? To not be intoxicated with anything that would burden the mind. Free from intoxicating influences and not under the control of a dangerous outside force. And why did Peter say for us to be sober-minded? Because we have an adversary, the devil, who roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He seeks to rob to kill, to destroy, to devour. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters. He's out to kill you, to devour you, your family, your wife, your kids. And oftentimes, the way that he does this is very subtly through the mind. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How is it that we stay our minds in the midst of a mad world? God's word, prayer, and fellowship. And through it, God keeps us in this place of perfect peace in spite of the storm. 
Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 says this, If you have then been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. He said, set your mind, take action, grab hold of your mind and set it towards Christ. Set it on Christ. Like the old, the old hymn said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, in the light of his grace. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but power and of love and of a sound mind. I've heard it said before that fear is the mind killer. But faith is the cure to fear. And faith comes by hearing God's word. Romans 12, 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, renewed daily by what? God's word. We keep returning to this simple triad of foundational elements of what it took to grow in the beginning and what it will continue to require for us to grow until the day that we die. God's word, prayer, and fellowship. A renewed mind by God's word is a sound mind, a mind stayed on Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love the translation of the old King James Version here. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Set your hope fully upon Christ. Set your mind on Christ. In closing, I'd like to share a, um, I'd like to share a story with you. I love it how God provides sermon examples and, and, and life lessons through them. You know, in our home, we have we've got four children. Um, three of which are teenagers, um, the fourth of which acts like a teenager. Um, that's you, Jude. <laughs> um, I think he's a product of as an environment. But teenagers are like, teenagers are like fish out of water. They don't know who they are, what they are, where they belong. Their hormones and their emotions are all over the place. Like I said, like a fish out of water. I like to use fishing illustrations with my, my children and my boys in particular because they love to go fishing with dad. And I, and I teach them, what, what do they do when they snag a fish? Well, I reel it in, right? You got to pull it out of the water. And of course, it's going to flop like a fish out of water, right? Reel it in, 
get a hold of it. And that's what you need to do with your heart, your mind, and your emotions. And it takes diligent training. This past week, the boys and I, we found ourselves um, fishing alongside some new friends. We live on a private drive and we have a pond at the beginning of our road. Um, and as I came home from work one day, there were a couple of young men um, fishing next to the sign that said, no fishing, private pond. Um, and I noticed that they were about Zeke's age. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I really just wanted to be able to fish. Of all the things that they could be doing, they're out fishing. But I know my neighbors, and especially this sweet old man, Burton, who's about 90, that's really triggered about people fishing in his pond, you know. Um, and so I stopped, and I, and I talked to the young men, and I said, guys, listen, you're really not supposed to be fishing here. I said, but if anybody stops, um, here, I'll give you my number. And just tell him that you're friends with Dustin, and he said that you could fish here. Um, so I left. They were, they were thankful. Um, I went home, um, showed my boys some pictures of the fish that they had sent to me that they had caught the night before, a monster bass. And, man, was it an impressive fish to be pulling that four-pound bass out of that pond. Anyway, so the boys and I went back down to the pond, and the young men's names were... Mitch and Bruce. Um, and Mitch and Bruce were still there fishing. So the boys and I found ourselves fishing alongside some new friends. And as I said, Mitch had shared some pictures of some fish that he had caught in our private pond there. And boy, it was impressive. Now, Bruce, on the other hand, um, it was clear from the beginning that he was new to fishing. A few minutes into our fishing endeavor with our new friends, Bruce snagged a, a bluegill, um, reeled it in, and he pulled it from the water. And of course, that little fish was flopping, you know, like a, like a fish out of water. It was hilarious because Bruce was afraid to even touch it had no idea what to do with this fish. Bruce stood there, staying clear at the end of his pole, laid the fish down on the pavement, kind of put his foot on it, and then obviously, in fear of his life, reached into this fish's mouth and began to try and remove the hook. In what seemed like an eternity, days, as he's afraid to touch this fish and trying to remove this hook, finally removes the hook from the fish's mouth, and then reaches down and tries to, tries to pick it up and handle it. The fish flops and it flops to the ground and, and so on. And I'm just standing there watching, and I say to Ezra, Ezra, go show Bruce how to handle that fish. Ezra reaches down, picks up the fish, holds it as he knows how, like a born fisherman. He passes it off to Jude. We take a few pictures. Um, and if you've ever seen the beauty of God's creation on what's called a bluegill, is there the, this combination of like turquoise 
and gold and bronze. And there's these stripes of turquoise that go down their gills. And boy, are they beautiful. We stood and appreciated God's creation and looked at this fish. And then Jude gently released the fish into the water. Bruce had no idea what he was doing. I'm glad he was out there fishing. But he had no experience. He feared things that he shouldn't have. For all he knew, this fish was a piranha and was going to bite his hand clean off. Now, Jude and Ezra, though, on the other hand, were simply more experienced fishermen, much younger than Bruce, but they knew what to do. It's just a fish, right? They knew that there was nothing to fear, for they had done this many times before. What's the point? The point is, the first time that you try and reel in your mind, it's going to be weird, man. For real. Like a fish out of water. The truth is, you're not going to know what to do, and you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to look an awful lot like Bruce with that fish. But the more often you do, the more accustomed that you'll become to how it's going to go down. Your mind is going to do whatever it can do to get away from you. And I tell you what, I know from experience, it's a slippery sucker. You'll be afraid when you shouldn't be. But once you get a hold of it, your mind, that is, you realize that there's nothing to fear except fear itself. How many of you have seen this viral video of, of the little girl holding the fish and, and talking to it. Have you seen this? You've got, all right, well, I'll have to share it on Telegram. It is the cutest thing. This little girl, she's probably, what, two and a half? You know, um, she's holding probably a three and a half pound largemouth bass, and she's hugging it. And she's there, and she's comforting the fish, and she goes, it's okay, fish. It's okay. And she says it over and over again. It's okay, fish. I love you. It's okay, fish. Um, the cutest video. Reel it in. Get a hold of your mind. And tell it, it's okay, fish. It's okay. God loves us. He is good. He will take care of us. In Psalm 73, the psalmist struggles with seeing the prosperity of the wicked in this world. And he's distracted by it. And it says that when he thought how to understand this, that it seem too wearisome of a task. Why is it that the wicked seem to have whatever it is that they desire in this life? And somehow those that live uprightly suffer. He says that it was too wearisome of a task for me to understand this until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
says, then I discerned their end. I encourage you to go and to read Psalm 73. It's incredible. It was when the psalmist came to worship, it was when he came to God's word, that's when God freed his mind. How to keep a sound mind. Remind yourself of what you know. Who is God? Who am I? What does he want me to do? Preach these truths to yourself daily. Return to the foundations of your faith, the five solas. Renew your mind. Let God transform it through God's word, prayer, and fellowship. Free your mind from intoxicating influences. Grab a hold of your mind and set it on Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Set your mind on Christ. Set your hope fully upon him and take every thought captive and make it your slave. Through diligent practice and discipline, you can learn to control your mind and allow God and his Holy Spirit to have full control over it. That we might live fruitful, joyful, God-glorifying lives as those that are set apart by Christ, but then those that consecrate ourselves, set apart ourselves apart daily and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths contained within it that are life-altering, life-changing, life-giving truths. Lord, teach us what it means to discipline our minds for the sake of your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.